Well, want to thank everyone for showing up for episode 10 of Ethereal Underground. This is going to be a unique episode because it's a round robin format. Reason why they say that is we have four guests in tonight's show. One returning guest, Sasquatch Dad, that we had in an early episode. He was able to adjust his schedule and meet with us, but we have three new faces. So this will be interesting. The hour will go by uh, pretty quick. Usually everyone gets warmed up after the first 15 minutes, but we'll get a, a flavor or perspective in this round robin with this group. Uh, different backgrounds, different ages and different parts of the country. And it's always nice to get people's perspective. People are always interesting and it's I enjoy getting their take on life. So what we'll do is start about a, a minute or so each person, introduce themselves, a little bit of background, whatever you feel comfortable sharing uh, with the audience. And then after the uh, introduction, then we'll start with topics. And I'll just, uh, this is free flowing format. So I'll bring up a topic and then we'll take turns. So we'll start off first with the guest known as TJ. So TJ, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you for having me. Um, just to give you a little bit of my background, I am part of what would be called the MTV generation. Um, great generation to grow up in. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, it was wonderful going to school there. It was a great experience. I'm the youngest of three kids. And that's about it. Okay, so first of all, you know, I've got to ask this. I had Elijah on as one of the guests. He's also from Chicago. And you know what I'm about to ask, but I have to do it anyway. <laughs> Are you a White Sox or Cubs fan? Cubs, of course. I grew up in the Western suburbs. And anyone who isn't from the South Side, everybody else is a Cubs fan. If you're from the city, uh, north suburbs, west, western, basically. Okay. So, yeah, he was from South Chicago, so that makes sense that he was a White Sox fan. And we'll get into it later, but from what you were saying, uh, growing up, your experience in that part of Chicago and going to school uh, was enjoyable, correct? Yes. I, I'm very appreciative that that – I had the opportunity to grow up there and go to school where I did. And um, it was overall a great experience. I had a lot of good friends and we really didn't come across a lot of problems with drug issues and violence in the area where I grew up. So I feel privileged in that. Yeah, because that's certainly different than what Elijah described in South Chicago and how he grew up. Well, next uh, guest, brief introduction, see what uh, he has to say is our good friend Opie. Opie, how are you doing today? How you doing? You doing all right? I'm um, Opie. I'm from, uh, I guess you could say, Southern Appalachia. I'm at the tip of South Carolina. Uh, graduated in 2000. Pretty much grew up in the 90s. I was raised by cops lawyers and judges for about 10 years 
uh, pretty much raised how to live off the land on my own business and I pretty much live off the land. And do you have any uh, brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got an older sister. She's about 10 years older than me. So it's about like having two mamas. Okay, yeah. So it's just the, the two of you. And uh, I kind of would have guessed immediately from your accent that you're probably from that region. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we'll did that giveaway. Now, that's interesting. We'll, we'll get to hear more in a little bit, whatever you feel comfortable sharing but that's an interesting statement you made how you were kind of raised with police and lawyers and so that's uh, setting the stage for something very interesting i'm sure and then you'll you'll be able to uh share whatever you feel comfortable with but i'm, I'm kind of excited to find out what that means because that's obviously right from the get-go different than my experience and how i was raised um our third new uh, person in this panel guest is Sunny Day. So Sunny Day, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing and, and what's your brief background? Thanks, I'm doing great and thanks for having me on today. A little bit about my background. I was born and raised in the Richmond, Virginia area, so I'm an East Coaster. I was born in 1981, so technically I'm a millennial or what I'd like to call a grandma millennial. Uh, but I tend to relate better, much better to the Generation Xers. Um, I'm an only child born to parents who own their own business from the time I was a baby. That plays a key role in what some might find unique about my upbringing. Since they were self-employed, it was almost like their business was another member of the family in a way. I was exposed to a lot from a young age. And looking back, I'm very thankful to my parents for the way that they raised me because they taught me to be self-sufficient, to think strategically, and to take accountability for my actions. Um, I graduated from college, magna cum laude, with a degree in finance, and had most, what most would say is a very successful career in business. About two years ago, I started to see that the world was not quite what I thought it was. And then about a year ago, I started making drastic changes in my life so that I could focus more on developing spiritually. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. And we'll kind of get into what you just touched on with everyone in the group and Sasquatch dad is here. We know his background from the interview I had with him. So let's start and I'll kind of go what's on my screen. I'll go rotation, TJ, Opie, Sasquatch dad and sunny day. Uh, TJ, what this question will be similar for, for everyone. TJ, what, what's your, quick, maybe a two, two minute or so elevator speech. How would you relate your days in high school growing up there in Northwest Chicago suburbs, society and that life uh, graduating late eighties versus today? What, what kind of changes have you seen and, and what's your observation? Well, um, I guess you'd say it's, I'm older, so there's, quite a time period to, it's a large span of time. Um, and it was really, everyone <clears throat> took care of each other. And really, if you were friends with someone, it, it meant something. And everyone had each other's back. 
um, like I said, where I grew up, it wasn't the case everywhere, but I just so happened to grow up in a suburb. My parents bought in an area, a very simple, small home, but it happened to be in a location where it was really phenomenal in, in schooling and that kind of thing. And I mean, everybody just got along. Sure, there's always been problems, but not like you see today. Um, I just talked to my brother recently <clears throat> because I have two older brothers and one is still in Chicago and I wish he would leave because it's sad to see that things have changed so much and you know he lives in a suburb probably 30 minutes outside the city and he told me that they had plans to go into the city uh, to go to a great restaurant on the north side that they normally go to They've been going to for 25 years, 30 years maybe. And they were going with another couple and decided we can't do it because it's not safe anymore. They said Water Tower Place, uh, a lot of the retail is cleaning out. A, a big location that was going to come in there, a big retail store, decided not to. Uh, there are groups of, he said, groups of, of men that are going through and robbing people. And it's happening all over the interior of the city, the north side. Uh, it's just a different world. It, it's not safe anymore. And the last time I was there, um, about a year ago, almost in June, it'll be a year. I could tell even going into local gas stations and such, everybody was on edge. And this was in a suburb where usually people used to be really happy and easygoing. And now everybody almost has an angry look on their face because they don't know what's gonna happen. So just looking at it from that aspect and looking at where I grew up, it, it's just a different world. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I, don't, I didn't live in Chicago, but I did have a lot of uh, experience in the late 80s and 90s in Chicago playing hockey and some other business related items and it's definitely changed and that was uh, Chicago was a very friendly big city I always called Chicago the friendlier New York and I felt very safe in the 80s and 90s to go up there and yep. the the great restaurants and all the shopping malls and activities to do uh, outdoor and never having any worries whatsoever and to see such a a great city like that and everything that has to offer turn to where it's almost a Mad Max or like you said, your brother the other evening, not even being able to go to those eating establishments that are really famous. Uh, it, it, it's a crying shame. I, it's it's jaw dropping. I can only imagine you born and raised basically there versus me who's had quite a bit of experience in Chicago to see that change. To me, it's almost uh, borderline horrifying and great shock. How could it have declined so fast, especially last maybe 10 years? But I'll, uh, we'll get back to that. I went a lo little bit over two minutes. Uh, the next one would be Opie. Uh, how about you? Uh, I'm sure this is gonna be interesting what you have to say. How do you, from your perspective, how, do, how things change from your high school days to, to now? Uh, not only in your life, but maybe your area, uh, that part of the country. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, it's about the same. 
ain't nothing really changed. I'd say maybe people got a little bit dumber. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know. They just, everything's the same. Now, where you, where you are, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not necessarily like near a, in the suburbs, in a subdivision near a town. Are you more in a rural area, right? Mm, I would say the largest city that I'm about 45 minutes from, it's a population of about 200,000. So I'd okay. say another, another major city like the capital would be like the biggest. It's about two hours away. It's probably, I don't know, a million or two people. Okay, so that's, yeah, a, a 200,000 city, that's that's a good size, you said about 45 minutes away, but in, in your area, since you and I <clears throat> have a chance to, to, to chat uh, on uh, Discord or other platforms, you have some pictures, you're good with uh, animals and farming because you have uh, a, a garden and you, you have some maybe chickens and hogs or something of that nature. So it seemed like, without giving your location away, it seemed like you were in a, a real pretty area. The pictures you've shown, it's pretty land. And I complimented on how nice your raised bed, your gardens look, and then the, your chickens and so forth. So I, I kind of pictured you being a little bit in the country rural area, or you said at the base of the mountains, is it kind of hilly where you are? I think we're about 900 or 1,000 foot. I can see the mountains, but I mean, it's real. I guess there ain't any really straight roads. It's, you know, it's it's hills, but ain't no steep inclines or anything. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much in the country. And in your area, do you, do you do a lot of hunting? Like, are you, are you the type that would maybe hunt deer and have deer jerky or other meats like that or do you raise uh pigs and chickens for protein do you have like a little farm of yours yeah uh my child was raised to live off the land ever since i was little i probably killed my first deer at about eight uh that's i got chickens usually for their eggs i don't i don't kill them they're like pets <clears throat> like pigs and stuff like that i'll just go shoot one of those when they a pig they're same way so um, I, I kind of view you as like uh macgyver of the carolinas so you'd be you'd be someone that you'd want on your team probably on that show survivor because you you probably have a good skill set wouldn't you as far as with your homestead and how to yeah i was uh the land? some guys i work with was which Sometimes they ain't got nothing to do, so they sit around and watch TV. They was watching alone, and I was just sitting there making fun of those guys on there. I could probably do that, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, similar, similar to you and your skill set as Sasquatch Dad, because we had talked um, in our solo interview that we had uh, in the beginning when I first started this maybe three, three months ago, uh, Sasquatch dad, like Opie, you also, you have hogs and chickens for your eggs, but you're, you've got a homestead as well. 
that you're continuing to grow in the uh, Ozark uh, Mountains area. And uh, last time we talked, one of the things you were going to get established was a, a greenhouse. Are you still working on that project? Yep. Yep. Still working on on getting that established. But yeah, we are kind of kind of similar to Opie. A little more people in my area, but uh, uh, definitely uh, uh, love the the rural setting versus uh, versus city life. So you won't find me any closer than I am to to a big city. Yeah, you and Opie are very similar because you both uh, you have a skill set. You have a homestead. You, you both don't let any grass grow under your feet, and you're able to. You're probably the two of you, the closest that I know of. You're in better shape than I am as far as maybe being able to live off the grid. And you have uh, those are valuable skill sets that I'm afraid a lot of us have lost, especially if we're from the city or suburb. We're not trained to do that, and it seems to me where the world's headed, the skill set that you and Opie have is, is absolutely a, a, a must. Now, I know that the other day you sent me a picture. You went fishing, and I couldn't believe if you can des describe, you had a lot of fish there, and they were a beautiful fish, and they were plump, good-sized good, good yeah. sized fish. And I think you got that. I'll, I'll let you tell the audience. You got those fish, but if I recall – you got them quickly, like within 20 minutes or something. Do you want to describe that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like right now and uh, right now and a lot of places, it's kind of we're kind of the tail end now, but uh, it's crappie season right now, crappie spawning. So uh, those were black and white crappie. And uh, it, it was, they were pretty close to the bank. So when crappies spawn, they come up to, uh, normally they're going to be in like 30 plus foot of water, kind of where it's cool and where they can kind of move away from other predators. Uh, but when it comes to spawn, they come up and start making their nest in shallow water, normally like two to five foot somewhere in there. So all those were real close to the bank. And what happens is when the when the female comes in to lay her eggs, uh, the male and the female pretty much attack anything that comes gets drug across their their uh, their nest. So in, in a matter of probably I'd say an hour, I had 10 pretty nice sized crappie. Okay, so that makes sense. So you're, what kind of uh, lure did you use? I was jig fishing, so I was using uh, plastic jigs on uh, a 30-second uh, jig head. So small, small size hook too. Yeah, crappie have a really paper-thin mouth. So you, you want to use a small, small uh, jig head, a small hook. Uh, normally use smaller bait because they're not, uh, they're not like a, a really large fish, like a bass. They're, they, they can get that big, but they're, they're, uh, they go after smaller prey than bass do. So you want a smaller jig. And then you also want really light line and tackle and uh, a really good action fishing pole. You don't want a stiff pole like you would for like a catfish or something. You want something that has a lot more action to it so that when you can feel their bites, because they don't, uh, if, you, if anyone's ever been catfishing or, or bass fishing, they don't quite hit like that. They don't hit hard and uh, uh, you feel it right away. Sometimes it's just a barely a nibble. And then as you're reeling in, all of a sudden you're, you're fighting a fish in. So uh, you got to have real, real small tackle and real, real light fishing rods in line. Okay. And that, that makes sense. That's a, that's a smart strategy because you've had, uh, well, it looks to me like you had some good eating on the picture yeah. you showed me because uh, you, you said that's one of your favorite fish, right? Yeah. Yeah. No crappie. Uh, they're, they're one of the better, the better tasting fish that I enjoy that and uh, walleye, but walleye are a lot harder to, to catch. Uh, you have to have really good conditions to catch good walleye. But other than that, that's kind of my favorite uh, 
favorite to eat as far as fish. Not a bottom feeder, and they're not like a, uh, a vegetation feeder, so they tend to have a little bit better meat on them. Well, that brings us to uh, our last guest, Sunny Day. What um, what have you noticed or observed since your high school days uh, till now? Opie said in his particular region, not too much different. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I've definitely seen some differences. You know, I'm old enough that I lived without internet until I was a teenager, and I'm really thankful for that because when I grew up, we spent our time outside building forts, playing hide and seek, roaming the neighborhood and exploring. And then what I see now is that kids don't seem to really do those things anymore. They're way too attached to devices, and therefore they seem detached from reality. I think that doesn't bode well for where the future is headed. Unfortunately, I see that trend continuing. And to be honest, I don't, I don't really like where I see that going. Now you, you, um, are you in a rural area or more of a suburb? Suburb, but I grew up in more of a rural area. Okay. Now that's, interesting because I've made several videos and I've talked about how societies change. When, when I was growing up, uh, we had, because I graduated in the 80s, but I'm older than TJ. But growing up, we had, oh, the typical ABC, CBS, NBC, the three channels. And then we had channel 30, channel 11. So there's only five channels had a little black and white TV. So literally 99% of the time, unless the weather was really bad, we were outside always playing uh, with the kids in the subdivision nearby. And all of us would be out till last, last possible light. A lot of us had to be home by the time the street lights kicked on or had to be home for dinner. And you had that interaction, but I, I don't see that today. I haven't seen it in years, in fact, just uh, driving around or if I'm in a subdivision, I, I don't see kids playing kickball or softball or football, uh, frisbee or anything of that nature. It's, I'd say it's been almost 18 years since I've seen on a regular basis outside or where you've got, you've got to slow down because kids are in the street playing kickball or riding their bicycles. So you slow way down until they get out of your way. And um, the dynamics are so different. And uh, you have out of this group, I know Sasquatch dad has uh, a child and I think Opie and then you do too, right? sunny day kids I do. I have three of them yep and that, what are they what's their experience like as far as play and association yeah I mean the two I have two boys one girl the two boys are into sports so at least with that they get interaction and um, I'm thankful for that because I see children who don't have that outlet tend to just be buried in an iPad or or some other form of technology um, so I'm thankful for that, but at the same time, the sports almost can become too much. Um, 
which I believe you played hockey. Uh, so you have that experience too. They play travel ball. So it's, it's all, all year activity and it's multiple days a week sort of a thing. So it's almost too much, but I guess I'm, I'm thankful that it's that instead of technology all the time. So they, is it, you, you said, tra I don't know what that means. I did a hit travel ball. Is that, are you talking about baseball or basketball? Yeah. Baseball. Yep. Okay. Baseball. So you're all right. So they're in a team sport. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, team sports, you have to learn the dynamics of how to get along with the other teammates and then the dynamics of the coach or if there's an, uh, an assistant coach as well, mm -hmm. how to take instruction. So that's, that's definitely a skill set. Uh, that helps as opposed to being isolated and then does your daughter do any sports or is she the younger she's the youngest and no she doesn't do any sports what's what's your uh, view as far as uh, the the other kids interaction in the sports do they seem to get along all right do the parents seem to get along or do parents <laughs> get emotionally involved and too much and try to tell the coach what to do or Parents are entirely too involved. The majority of them, it seems almost as if they want to live vicariously through the child and they interject themselves in the middle of everything, not just with sports, but with school and with everything else. Um, they don't really allow the child the freedom that the child needs in order to become an adult one day. Well, one thing that, uh, and, and this, this can go to the group if, if anyone wants to make a comment, Oh, what I'm about to say, it, it seems obviously that we're meant to be social creatures. Um, I think we tend to do better when we're able to associate and, and be in a community. Once in a while, you get someone who likes to isolate themselves and be alone. They don't want to be bothered. But in general, we're, we're definitely social. And I see that with the technology that you can be social now, but instead of the subdivision of kids where you're playing ball and uh, trying to create fun association activity that people can associate, but it's through impersonable apps or um, gaming where you still might be able to socialize, but it could be someone halfway around the world in Japan or, or in Europe, and you might see them on a computer monitor, or you might have a headset on, but that relationship and that association is, the dynamics are completely different than if you're playing with Johnny next door and, and you're physically uh, interacting with the individual. You're going all over, over next door, knocking on the house. Can Johnny come out and play? Yeah, as soon as he's done with lunch, he'll be right out. And so that seems to be lost. And I don't know, at least last 15, 18 years, I've noticed that. Do you think that that has an impact in society right now, especially the younger generation? Anyone? Absolutely, because they live through these virtual worlds and then lose some of that ability to interact in the in the quote unquote re real world yeah and I think uh like a lot of us on here uh kind of understand but it, there's a lot lost 
when you're interacting with someone through a screen or over the phone, whatever it is, you don't get to pick up on those, those, uh, you know, physical cues and those, those kind of closeness of being together, like you can face to face, you don't get that same uh, encouragement and interaction. Um, for me, I remember when the internet was coming out, I was kind of excited about it, um, but a little apprehensive. And then with cell phones, even though I kind of always wanted to had a lot of friends, wanted to get along, maybe have the new things that other people had. When cell phones came out, I did not want one. And I fought that and fought it because in the back of my mind, I knew there were gonna be problems. And then when you think about it deeply and you're like, it's a cell phone, like you're in a cell, you're trapped in a prison cell, you're almost trapped by your phone now, or the internet, you're, you're caught in a net, the World Wide Web. So for years, that's always gotten to me. And there are so many good things about it, but you can see how it's changed in, into also a lot of bad. And like has been mentioned that people don't have the same sort of interactions. And then what's been going on the last couple of years, people do have less and less interaction and you, you really don't bond with people the way you used to. And for me, I've always gotten to know people one-on-one. -on -one. I have to be somewhere with them and I see them and I see their expressions and you know, you talk together and walk together and that's how you get to know people and that's how you bond. And, and that's almost non-existent. Um, uh, uh, good points. Thanks uh, everyone for sharing that. Opie, I think in, in your case, um, you're not that, you're not that big, are you, as far as internet and social media? Uh, I, not really, no. I don't have a Facebook. I'm on Twitter, just, uh, talk crap and troll people. Uh, that's about it. I do a lot of research and stuff online. Yeah, but yeah, you're not the, you're not the type that's, constantly constantly playing candy crush on your phone like you said you don't have facebook and i think with your kids i've, I've seen picture uh just like sasquatch dad you your kids are you spend a lot of time with your kids and they're uh skilled in outdoors aren't they because was was it it could be wrong but wasn't your daughter didn't, didn't she good in like hunting yeah she shot her first deer last year She's yeah uh, I try to keep them outside, away from the electronics. My oldest one, she she stays on hers. I can't really, I don't know. Little boy, he likes to stay outside. I gave him my axe. He's chopped down pretty much all my trees. I had to take that away. Uh, <laughs> got, you got a Paul Bunyan in the family. Yeah, my wife, she's kind of a city girl, so <clears throat> she didn't really understand all that stuff, and this constantly gives me a hard time if I go hunting, you know, or I'm in the garden. But she kind of got a a rude awakening about two years ago when she goes to the grocery store and there ain't nothing on the shelves. And I just laughed. Yeah. I was like, why do you think I do the stuff that I do? I was like, I can go kill something and eat it, you know. Oh, well, we'll be fine then, right? It's like, yeah. I'm like, why are you worrying? So, yeah. So, my life's been easier now. Well, and then uh, your your skill set 
<laughs> the we know this for 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 the listening audience the uh, how this round robin panel for example we're all familiar with each other some we've met in person others we haven't yet but we've uh, we've been involved in uh, a community we're, we're, we're like-minded we uh, help each other out with problems or we'll share research information articles or, or videos on hunting or gardening and uh, we've developed a friendship we live all over the United States but we're able to take advantage of some of this technology while while it's still available to communicate and encourage one another but the this group has really realized society's rapidly changing the economy's tanking by design we see that but it's startling that last week the bank of england which by the way is extremely old look at the history of the bank of england they've been around the block a couple of times and they're an old establishment so when the Bank of England states last week that they're very concerned about global food shortages and mass starvation, I took notice. I mean, for them to say that with their reputation, the fact that they're in banking and they're so old over there in, in Europe, that's extremely unusual for a bank to mention something that would be a, a world phenomenon in dealing with food. I mean, banks are about loans and interest rates and investments, and here they're warning about food, and uh, they weren't kidding. So I think what was happening, and I had spoken on some, some research about the increase of food, and especially just the United States, for example, I think the average citizen has no idea what's coming. And we're talking serious issues that if you don't have the skill set like Opie and Sasquatch dad, I don't think it's, I don't think society's going to stand. I don't think the United States is going to make it through what's coming just on the social unrest that 14 fold food increase is predicted. These institutions are absolutely predicting up to 14-fold interest. So that means a family of four could easily go from $280, $300 a week to $3,100 a week within the next 24 months. Now, who, who, who can survive that? So what's going to happen with society? We already have, there's a news clip. I, I looked at it briefly. Did any of you see that? It might have been two weeks ago that uh, a woman in might have been Jacksonville, Florida was killed and it was argument over food and she was beaten to death in, in Florida. And then uh, you're, you're going to see more uh, food jackings instead of carjacking people uh, robbing food as you're coming out of a grocery store. So what, what kind of future do you think we're going to be seeing here in the United States? say in the next 24 months. I'm gonna start with TJ, any thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, first off, if we're referring to the United States. 
um, how many people living today in the US have gone through true extreme hardship? Um, for, for people who haven't gone through that and they've really lived what would be considered a privileged life, people may not always think that way, but you'll, you'll hear about people in some countries saying, wow, you live in a situation where you have homes for your cars, you know, so your garage is a home for your car. They're worried about having a decent small home and here we are like, oh, I, I wish I had a garage or I need a six car garage or, you know, what about all these outbuildings or, you know, so, so much of this country hasn't experienced that. And we can see even what happened in New Orleans, you know, when, when they had um, a, a hurricane within, yeah, within such a short period of time, you know, people became animalistic. Right. So it, it doesn't take very long. And I would think that in this country, it would be a very short time before things change. Now, Opie, don't you, kind of based on what your wife said, haven't you been kind of preparing for this with your skill set? But what's your gut feeling telling you what might happen in the United States very soon as far as food and inflation and people's behavior? Well, pretty much what I do, I've, I've always done it ever since I was little. Uh, I'm going to say there's probably going to be some bad coming up with food shortages. Uh, I'm going to say it's probably going to kind of go over to gray and black markets. Like, say if there's a, a protein shortage, I, I pretty much have the tools to, to say process meat and sell it so people have something to eat. But, but me doing that, that's considered illegal. You can't mm -hmm. do that. So, I mean... I just don't, if it gets that bad, I don't see anybody saying something. You know, why would they want to turn in the guy that's feeding them? But like I was going to get me a mobile cooler set up. I know as of about six months ago, when everybody was thinking there's going to be meat shortages, people was buying cows and, you know, they'd buy half a cow or a full cow and split it with their family. The wait time on that was three months because the processors are that booked up. It might be six months now. Wow. But I could do stuff like that. You know, I'd step up and do that. I'm sure a bunch of people around here would. But I guess it would be towards smaller type communities. Yeah, I think smaller, smaller townships definitely stand a better chance. And there's no question that literally overnight, I can see these small townships going right into a barter economy and Op opie you're right there there isn't anyone that's going to turn in someone are are you usda grade meat that <laughs> if, if you have deer jerky or uh, sausage or anything of that nature that's it's going to be golden and the uh, the ability to process because bartering is going to be the name of the game and there's not going to be much bartering in cities and suburbs there's just the social dynamics aren't there uh, sasquatch dad what do you think uh, can uh, i uh, jump in there right quick oh yeah sure as far as like you know i could do deer and pigs i can do cows but i was talking with some farmers when they take their cattle to the sale it might be up a little bit now but they get 62 cent a pound all right so if I just buy that cow from that farmer at 62 cents a pound and I process it, 
You know, that's cutting a bunch of middlemen out. That's why they don't like it. So, I mean, you know, they sell it at the auction, and they sell it to the processor, and then they sell it to somebody else. So that's where a lot of prison time comes from. All right, I'm done. That's, that's a good point. Sasquatch Dad, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. It's, we're looking at, uh, even in my area, which is more rural, unfortunately, a lot of the old uh, – a lot of the old farmers that I knew are either dead or out. Uh, you know, they're they're they kind of went went to more using the supermarket. So I, I know tons of people that right now they know the skills to get by, but they can't because they don't have the setup. Either they're they move to town to get closer to Mandy's and give uh, up farm life. So uh, the problem with it is so many people, you know. Uh, they don't try to to uh, you know sustain themselves or, or get uh, you know a second supplemental uh, food source for them and their families, uh, and that, that's going to be a big issue soon because as we've seen at the what midway through 2020, at the beginning of the the pandemic, it, it doesn't take long for food to not be on the shelves. And once an actual supply, and that, that was just with people not being there to process the stuff. But once there's an actual shortage of any, be it artificial or actual, any type of, any type of shortage of actual to even get to the processors, we're talking mass disruption and people, it, it, it'll be no time before people are going crazy and rioting and, and trying to steal from their neighbors. So definitely time is now to, if you haven't already started, at least be trying to stock up or get ahead of the curve. Yeah, I've noticed myself, some of my protein sources, the far farmers have either retired, a couple have passed away. Um, so there's a limited selection there. And then like Opie said, they're swamped. I mean, literally swamped. So it's a waiting list now to get a, a third of a cow or half of a pig. Uh, you, you and I have worked together with some of the pigs that, that you have, but uh, that's a huge concern. Sunny day at, at, in your area, where you, are you still in the Virginia area? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, okay. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts as far as what do you see coming with hyperinflation or the availability of food and people's reaction which what's your gut gut telling you it's not going to be pretty <laughs> i think as tj mentioned most people especially where i'm at have lived a privileged life in a sense that they've never really had to um, grow or or hunt their own food so they're so they're used to going to a grocery store and buying it and that's how they get it um so I think it's made them spoiled and entitled, and it's going to be quite chaotic once the dominoes start falling. I think the average supermarket has about three days of inventory on hand. So it's going to go quickly once once the first little thing happens to the supply chain. It's, it's going to be chaos in that sense. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no way, to be honest, even myself, growing up in the United States, just as a society, we we're not equipped for this. We've we've always been spoiled, full shelves, uh, a variety of options. 
whether it's restaurants, fast food, or in the grocery store. And th there's no way we can wrap our mind around the, the psyche, the psychological aspect of food shortages and the violence of people who are stressed out and not getting enough to eat, where poorer countries, let's say the term third world nation, they, the, the lower income classes, they know how to get along because a lot of them have, are somewhat self-sufficient. They have their own gardens. They have the, uh, maybe chickens and sources of protein. They might already have farmer's market and a bartering system. Uh, offhand, I'm thinking of Central South American countries. The United States, I think it's going to be a bloodbath because there's no skill set or culture. The culture shock is, to me, going to be off the chart. So uh, we're, we're, believe it or not, we're coming up close on an hour. There's maybe, let's say, uh, 10 to 11 minutes left. So what I'd like to do is get whoever wants to participate thoughts on this last subject. And then we could always, like some of the others, set up for a part two, if, if you guys feel up to it. With, with what's coming, your observations, this is unrehearsed. We didn't script this beforehand, but we have talked uh, together on these apps that, that allow us to. There's physical preparation for what's coming. A lot of us have already started doing that. Uh, Opie and Sasquatch Dad are probably in better shape than some of us, but we're already starting to condition. It's gonna be bad. We've got, we've got to do this, this, this that uh, backup solar generators. We're starting to get relationship with local farmers. Uh, Alliance is there to get food, uh, stacking up on health supplies in case the supply chain, which probably by design will be completely interrupted again. But besides physical preparation, what do you guys think? Is there anything else that you would recommend or that you're doing uh, sunny day briefly mentioned it on your introduction, but do you think something more than just physical preparation is gonna be needed to handle what's coming? You wanna do TJ first? Um, Opie? Yeah, you're gonna have to... Uh... Be tuned in with God. Uh, which we was kind of always said we stick to our Bible and our bullets. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. So that that's kind of what I was alluding to, but a, a, a spiritual prepar preparation in conjunction with physical preparedness. So you'd agree with that, right? Sasquatch dad, do you have any thoughts? Are you getting signal? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I, I definitely agree with, with Opie and, and just add to it. I, for me, my, uh, uh, my gardening and my raising of animals and stuff like that, that goes along. I, it's, it's mostly considered physical prep, but I lump that in with my spiritual prep as well. Like I don't, I don't do a lot of, uh, uh, like I don't buy a lot of 
produce to like store away. Like I, I would, I wouldn't consider myself like a doomsday prepper, but my, my gardening and all that, that's me getting closer to my creator, to what I view as the source of my creation and the source of all creation. So uh, I, I tend to, to think about him or think about it when I'm out in the garden or when I'm dealing with my pigs. Uh, so that, that's for me, that's uh, reading, the, the, reading the scripture. The, the, but you have to have something. You can't going to be able to make it through this just by the skin of their own teeth. You're not going to be able to do it. You're going to have to have something extra to hit your wagon to some kind of hope for the other side. Because if you look at this from a physical standpoint, there is no hope. Uh, everything that's going on, the, that's coming down the pipeline is, is, is pretty bad. So, so definitely for me, I definitely have a, a high spiritual preparation as well as physical preparation. And otherwise, I don't think I'd have the sanity to make it through what we've been through so far. Sunday day, what are you thinking now that you, you've heard Opie and Sasquatch Dad? Yeah, I tend to agree with the group. I mean, these lifestyles that most of us have lived have really gotten us way too detached from earth, from nature and from source or God. I think we need to do all we can to get to try to get ourselves more into harmony with nature and build that solid relationship and trust in the creator. Uh, there's really nothing else that, that's going to get us through what's coming. Uh, how do you, not to put you on the spot, but or if uh, anyone else wants to chime in, what's that look like for you, uh, spiritual preparedness? I mean, for me, I spend as much time as I can out in nature, hiking, watching the animals, um, because to get to know the creation is to get to know the creator, right? You can learn a lot about the creator from looking at what he's created for us. Um, I love to spend time in the garden. Um, I've discovered that <laughs> when the more time you spend with the plants, the more that they produce for you. It's actually quite amazing to see the difference that they'll yield for you when you just spend time with your energy in the garden with them. Um, and then there's obviously the scriptures that are a gift from the creator that give us great insight into what's coming um, and really how we can prepare for it. So would you say uh, a spiritual preparedness or spiritual course, that's, that's a different definition than religious? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. TJ, can you hear me now? Yes, I'm sorry. I got cut off before. <laughs> Did you not pay your um, phone bill or what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I was just going to say um, the same thing. It, it's really important that we prepare spiritually and to, as has already been brought out, to get close to our creator that means we need to be more into nature. That further we are away from phones and internet and, and all that, the better. And, and of course, there's good things about it. I mean, that's how we're getting together today. It's really important. Uh, we would not know each other if it wasn't for that. But we also have to make sure that we're connected to source or our creator. This is how we're going to make it through these times. So one important thing is to always make sure that we're in nature and that we are connected to source. 
now do you do you read uh, scriptures as well and and meditate on scriptures which is di different than religion uh, yes i've been doing that since i was a small child so that's a very long time <laughs> um it, that's extremely important also um it, it all connects together i mean that is how god talks to us that's one of the ways so it's extremely important yeah because it seems it seems that over the years i really noticed looking back in the 70s 80s 90s and up to our day uh between the entertainment industry hollywood music and then uh school schooling system academia that what i call the system engineers that this world matrix has really seemed to put a wedge between mankind and nature or discouraged any type of connection to a divine uh, a creator source in isaiah the book of Isaiah, the 46th chapter, mentions this dynamic energy that's responsible for, for life. And it gets people distracted either in plastic and leather or in debt to where they're kind of like that hamster in a cage, exhausted Monday through Friday, a little respite on the weekend, and then right back Monday into this never-ending cage where they don't have time to think they're fatigued and they're not in contact with nature to the extent they would like to. They don't have a chance to garden. Maybe they live in a subdivision where the homeowners association don't allow it, or they're in a city where are you going to garden in the, in the city. And then um, all what I call the white noise, all the Wi-Fi and fluorescent light fixtures and TV monitors and that keep an individual from that, natural Schumann resonance of the 7.8 Hertz, that to me, it's a giant conspiracy to get mankind off balance, disconnected from nature and discourage any type of spiritual connection. And I, 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 I see it, I see it in business, I see it in community, in school, I have no idea what public schools teaching now, see all, all this gender confusion and, and weirdness that's going on. So to me, there's like a, definite agenda to get mankind completely off their game and instead of being spiritual and natural into some Borg-like half-human, half-Silicon Valley. Any thoughts on that as we wrap this up? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I was thinking about I was about 10, 12 years ago, I went to the island of Dominica in the Caribbean. People always think the Caribbean, you know, oh, that's a vacation spot, but, but there's locals living in that island and they live very simply. And they have a very, most of them have a very small home, you know, the size of someone's living room in, in the US average and um, outdoor plumbing. And then they would say, you know, here you can survive. You know, even if you're homeless, it doesn't get cold. Uh, you can fish. There's breadfruit that you can pick off trees. And there, there's always something here. There's fruits and vegetables. And so it always made you think that 
if somebody knew how to work, they could survive. But another thing that really I'll never forget was going into these homes. They all had cell phones, internet, and cable. So they didn't have indoor plumbing, but they had all of this. So we can see the agenda even how long ago to try to keep everyone connected in that way to something that's not nature. Sounds like you just described West Virginia. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That, that was a joke. I spent a lot of time in West Virginia. It didn't, didn't mean any harm. But yeah, isn't that interesting that they had all the electronic devices, but yet they're in a tropical area with maybe no electricity or outhouses, but they had, that seems suspicious to me. Um, well, no, they'll issue cell phones to homeless people in the U.S. too. So what is the agenda with the connectivity? It has to make you wonder. Yeah, Sasquatch, Sasquatch Dad, you're going to say? Oh, definitely just pretty much along the same lines. It's, it's, it's funny how much, uh, you know, going into the agendas of what they're doing, even all the way down to now, uh, big talks on this, you know, metaverse and all this, the way the, the masses of society are going is towards, like you said, a Borg-like, a, a artificial uh, digital existence uh, versus, you know, the analog or the, the natural existence that, that uh, works with nature. Everybody else is in the world is working against nature. They're trying to find ways to, to get out of nature and to, to get more involved with uh, digital and electronic things. And obviously, you know, by everyone's health and, and everyone's happiness, you know, if you really took a poll on, on the earth right now, I'd, I'd say you wouldn't find a whole lot of happy people. But if you went back even 50 years, I bet that number would go up and you'd have more happy people just because of the, the less invasiveness of digital technology. So it's just amazing that, uh, you know, so few people recognize this and don't realize that that analog or, or natural frequencies is what we want to be aligned with. We don't want to align with these these digital frequencies because all they do is, is curb our happiness and our health. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be very obvious uh, in the months to come how many people on this planet can truly be called organic or original and how many have participated or well along the way of some type of transhumanism. Because a certain segment, there's a huge hubbub or excitement about implants, whether it's Elon Musk or Apple or Intel or other talking about um, an interaction with implants of some sort with the internet and connectivity. And uh, th there's excitement. I would, wouldn't be surprised if there's a certain part of the population that would camp out two or three days to be one of the first to have this technology installed. So I, I, <laughs> I think there's gonna be a division of humanity. It's already started. And I think the minority, an extreme minority, are going to be organic, what I'd call original organic. The rest will be some type of composite. And uh, Opie, did you have any last thoughts before we wrap things up? Or... I don't reckon. Well, we appreciate uh, having this group on this first round robin of ethereal underground. I think it went pretty well. There's only a couple times where maybe reception was a little weak, but I, I could still kind of make heads or tails 
of what was being said. We're, we're always at the mercy of a, a phone signal or the connectivity of the internet. So I wanted to thank TJ, Opie, Sasquatch Dad, Sunny Day for being on episode 10. And we wish uh, everyone well who's uh, listening. And we'll probably have some of these guests, if I can strong arm them to come back and we'll get a chance to talk further uh, on topics of the day or what concerns we might have. So with that being said, wish everyone well and everyone have a good evening. Take care.